I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Pro Plus on Anfield Index Pro. I am Dave Hendrick, as you know. And I never thought I'd say this, but my guest today is Grizz Khan. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I've, I've, been, I've been better. Um, but, yeah, I thought, um, I thought we would do this one day, Dave. <laughs> Honestly, I actually did. I know you said you never thought we'd do this one day. But, um, but yeah, I'm very, 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 very glad that I'm here now. And we're, and we're going to speak about our beloved club. Yeah, we are. Well, we should give a bit of backstory. So we, we, we historically have not gotten on uh, over the years. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far to say as we were enemies, but we were. Um, I, I don't know what the right word is. Um, adversaries? Adversaries is probably the right word. Adversaries is probably the right word. But then we both, I think, around the same time realized we're too fucking old for that type of shit. And it was all over nonsensical Twitter bullshit. Well, it was, well, it was, I was thinking the other day about this. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about sort of the seven-year Jürgen Klopp curse. Um, and I was thinking, I was pretty much looking at dates and whatnot. And, Dave, do you know it's been seven years since we had a, a whatever you want to call it, a social media falling out or a twitter war or whatever you want to call it however people want to look at it it's the seven-year curse and 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 you're right you're actually spot on we actually realized at the same time which is weird and uncanny that grow the fuck up both of you basically you're old men you're old men arguing about football on twitter i think when when you've got as many grey hairs as, as we both mm. have, you, mm. you, you, you do kind of have to let some of that slide. And obviously, look, it wasn't just the two of us. There were other people kind of involved in it that were, I think, trying to pit us against each other for quite a while. Um, yeah, we're both two quite outspoken people in the Liverpool sphere. Um, yeah. We're both fairly well known within the Liverpool sphere. And I think some people, you know, some people saying things to me who didn't necessarily get on all that well with you, 
some people saying things to you about me that didn't get on well with me. And I think that more than anything that really happened between us, that kind of drove the wedge deeper and further. So what be, what what started out as a simple Twitter spat kind of became more than it ever should have been and got to the point where it was going to take, you know, I think both of us just realizing that th- this is fucking stupid, which it did. We both realized, you know, in, in around, I think, was it late November, early December? Yeah. This was just not worthwhile. And obviously Eddie as kind of the, the go-to uh, middleman between us was able to put us in, in contact and, and we have been chatting in DMs since, and and, and you know we we have uh, we have built the proverbial bridge. Um, so yeah, I mean we thought this would be this would be fun. We might as well do something uh, to to mark the occasion. So we're going to do a few of these and see how they'd go. And if, if if we both enjoy them, they might become a thing. And if if not, at least we've at least we've made up and are getting on now. And I think that's. In times of trouble, and it feels like times of trouble with this team right now, it's nice to all sort of be together and getting on rather than at war with each other, which, you know, is is just, it's it's so much effort, mate. It's so uh, much effort. You've, you've pretty much nailed it, and, and uh, you're right for shouting out um, Eddie, a.k.a. Don King, basically. Uh, he's the one who sort of, yeah, intermediary, you could say. But you're right. Um, you're right. And I think the way you've analysed it and sort of broke it down in terms of so many people in the same space, just looking for, I don't know what the word is, sort of just entertainment. And and But, but it was kind of becoming, um, you know, entertainment with us involved. And it's not pleasant. Mm. It is not pleasant when people are sort of, you're right, uh, saying stuff. And and what this shows, what this shows people in this in this day and world, and, and you're right, in these troubled times all around the world, what this actually shows is speak to each other. And that's the usually the issue when you don't speak to each other and you speak to others. And this is it. Um, as I said, definitely bygones be bygones. And we're here to talk about Liverpool. And listen, if people think we're going to agree suddenly and it's going to be a bed of roses <laughs> and we're going to, oh, <laughs> fat chance, mate. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. That's, that's the thing. Like, the thing is, we had that falling out and never really spoke after that. So people were saying to me, well, Grizz is saying this about you. And I'd be like, well, screw him then. And people yeah. were saying to you, well, Dave's saying this about you. So you're thinking the same thing. So, because we're both we're both we're both very stubborn individuals. Headstrong, I think headstrong. Uh, headstrong is a good word. Yeah. I'm Trev Downey likes to call me truculent. Um, yeah. I will fully admit that I can be a complete arsehole, especially on Twitter, because Twitter is mm. not real. Like it's not. It's just it's it's a circus. Like and it's not a real place. It's just something that you do to amuse yourself. So yeah, I can I fully admit I am an arsehole. On Twitter, I like to think I'm not so much off Twitter, but it 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 does it does it help can, when you actually can, talk to the person rather than listen to others. Do you know, Twitter Twitter can bring out sides of you that even you probably don't know you had inside. Yeah. you know what I mean. So 
And I'm pretty much the same. I can be an absolute bastard on Twitter if someone's a bastard to me. But I'd like to think, as you said, as you get older and grayer, more so in on the chest hairs as opposed to the head hairs, because I haven't got many head hairs left anymore. But nevertheless, as you get older and grayer, you, you realize, come on, grow yeah. the fuck up. It's football. It's like sitting in a in a bar or a coffee shop. I would be arguing, with, and I was thinking this, and I was, and I was telling the missus this day. I said I'd be arguing the same shit with him if I was sitting with him. If he was around my house now, and I'd say, Dave, I don't agree with that. That's absolute bollocks. And he'd say the same to me. And that's the way we are. And that's yeah. the way it's going to stay. And and the thing is, when you but when you have those conversations, be it in person or in a medium like this, where you're actually talking back and forth. There's a lot more nuance and it's it's a lot easier to pick up sure. what someone actual like if, if you say something like on Twitter, it's very hard to pick up things like sarcasm, irony, things like that. In a conversation, Absolutely. it's a lot easier. So yeah, that's kind of how we've managed to go about this is we've actually started talking through DMs and we've both put our sides forward and, and we've, you know, we've we've let bygones be be bygones because at the end of the day, I don't, I don't know you, and you don't know me. Like as people, yeah. it was just, it was more that our, I suppose, Twitter personas clashed, and we fell out, and then other people decided to really ramp it up. And, yeah, jump yeah. in, and really ramp, rev it up, and, and 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 sort of rather than unite, divide, which is again a sad state of society. We already know this exactly. Exactly. So let's move on to things that are more important than Twitter arguments. Let's talk about Liverpool Football Club. This season, I think it's fair to say, is not going to plan in any way, shape or form. After last season, where we came so close to doing the unthinkable and winning everything, the hope was going into the summer that we'd see Liverpool be ambitious we'd see them be aggressive we'd see them go and get what was needed and it was clear we were going to need to get one up front because Sadio was going Divock was going and we expected Taki to go which obviously he ultimately did and we got that player in Darwin and that's obviously very exciting and I think he's done I think he's done very well since taking over I know the finishing needs a bit of work but his all-round game has very much impressed me but it was clear as day Two seasons ago, we needed an addition in midfield. It was clear last season we needed needed an addition in midfield. And with the wearing down of Fabinho, with the aging of Thiago, with Henderson's steep decline, with Milner being 37 years of age, and with Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain not seemingly having the full trust of the manager, and then surely the youth of Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, and... Basetic or Tyler Morton or whoever you want to throw in. We didn't have any midfielders in that sort of 23 to 27 sweet spot, that kind of early to, you know, pre-prime sort of area where you look back at Liverpool when we won the league, we had a lot of players in that kind of, that that age range, like Ginny and Fab were in that kind of age age range. And we were so strong in midfield. So going into the summer, you were hoping we'd get a you know a really good midfielder to add and maybe a second one for a bit of depth. We obviously tried for Chuameni. That didn't go through. Whatever happened 
throughout the summer months, either Klopp dug his heels in and was like, it's the right player or no player. And then he turns around at the end of the window and says, right, everybody was right. I was wrong. We need a midfielder. And they end up with Arthur or the money was just set aside for whatever in the future. I don't know. But either way, we go into this summer clearly short of at least one body, I would say two in midfield. And we have looked awful in midfield this season from the Fulham game where we got overrun all the way through to the most recent games uh, Wolves in the Cup where we go with a full strength team pretty much as, as, as full as we can be given the injuries and they play their largely reserves and they just overrun us in midfield that to me, that midfield and the failure to properly reinvent it that's where our failure this season comes from I don't think there's a doubt that, and you don't even have to be a a genius in terms of footballing tactics or know-how or podcaster or whatever you want to call yourself to know that the issue and the glaring issue was central midfield and has been for the last, I think you said two, three windows. I'd even say four, five windows, Dave. For the last four or five windows, we've neglected that. In fact, it's true, isn't it? We've only bought one midfielder in the last six windows, I believe. Um, I'm pretty sure it's six. It may be five. I'm not 100% sure on that. Tiago. Tiago is the one midfielder. Look, the best Liverpool midfield that we've had, or, or, or should say, okay, let's put it this way. The, 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 successful, the successful team that won the Champions League and the Premier League in a Jurgen Klopp era was the midfield that consisted of a prime-aged Henderson, prime-aged Fabinho, prime-aged um, Ginny Wijnaldum. Mm. Just to name three. Obviously, there's others that played their part, namely Naby Keita. Um, and what we do know is there was hardly a game where we were outrun or where we, were, where we, where we lost a battle. We may not have looked as pretty on the eye, but physically and from a and from a statistically point of view, we were absolute demons of that field. Now, it's it's bordering negligence on negligence that we haven't addressed that issue. And we actually demanding or thinking that the players from four, five seasons ago are going to be able to do the things that they were physically able to do then, now. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand the way we neglected it, not only this summer, but for the last two, three summers, and January's as well. Mm. I've always been trying to see it from a glass half full perspective. And so therefore, I've always praised our subtle evolution in attack, but in fact, we've done pretty well. So we've like basically replaced our attack now with Jota, Diaz, Nunes. Am I missing anyone? Jota, Cody. Diaz, Nunes. And now Gakpo so, coming in as well. And Gakpo, I beg your pardon, of course. Gakpo. So that's four of our, let's say, that sweet age that you're looking for in terms of player coming into maturity and for, and, and, and become, making that leap from brilliant potential into world class, just like the, the famous three did as well at the same time. We've done similarly at the back with Calvin Ramsey, who's obviously younger, Simikas, Konate, 
so yeah, we can see the succession planning there. No one could see the succession planning in midfield. Dave. No. no one could see it. We couldn't see it for the life of us. And look, I made the foolish, foolish mistake and I fell for the trap and 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 then the wise words of Jurgen Klopp, etc. Um, and I actually thought we may be okay for one more season and then we'll assess at Christmas. Because of the small of because of the nature of the season with the World Cup involved and the amount of midfielders that he said he had. And I think it comes down to the two players that are an enigma, disappointment, call it what you want. The two, I call them the X factors, and I've been calling them the X factors for three, four seasons now. And they've let, you know, forget laying me down, they've let themselves down and, and, the, and the club down. And that's Ox and Cater, Dave. Ox and Cater for me were our X factors in terms of I thought if we can get these two firing, fit, and healthy, we may be able to get away with it. Alas, they weren't. Yeah, and I think if you look at last season, Naby was able to stay fit yeah. for the majority of the season, played very well for the majority of the games he was there for, and we were able to almost win everything. Starts both cup finals, starts a Champions League semi-final, starts the FA Cup semi-final, plays well in all of those big games, shows a consistent, maybe not a spectacular level, not the... You know, when we signed and we were all watching these compilations and we'd watched the, the Leipzig games and you were seeing this dynamic do-everything midfielder who looked like a cross between N'Golo Kante and Andreas Iniesta. And obviously, he has the, the big injury against Barcelona. He had a couple of niggly injuries the first season, then that big injury against Barcelona in the first leg of the Champions League semi-final. And from there, he'd never been able to maintain a level of fitness, but he also lost some of his explosiveness. But last season, he was able to give us seven out of 10, pretty much every week. The odd time he throw in an eight out of 10, Newcastle away been a prime example. They could win us a game. But this season, obviously, he's missed the first half through injury. Oxley chamberlain has had horrific luck with injuries. His sort of his big impact since the big knee injury was the title winning season where he actually played quite well when given opportunities. Yeah. But he's missed pretty much the whole season to date as well. Well, just to, just to get in there, you mentioned seven out of 10, Dave, for um, um, Naby Keita. And I'm pretty certain most listeners will agree that the last player that regularly gave us seven mm. and eight out of tens Every, pretty much every single week was Gini Wijnaldum. Yeah. Now, this is the problem, you see, because if you have someone who's not giving you that regular seven stroke eight out of, out of 10 every single week, home and away, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the tactics involved, you're, that's a massive, massive loss to your team. And Naby Keita, we can, have, we can all have our opinions on him, but we kind of molded him into, we tried to mold him into a more progressive genie. Yeah. We actually tried to give him the, the, the tactical brain of genie, but the, I'd, say the, I'd say the more potential natural flair of Nabi Keita. And, and, 
and we were seeing the, the fruits of that, but it just wasn't enough. And that's where I think it backfired on us because we actually thought we might be okay. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think back to the the summer of 2018 where we, we've just won the, or sorry, we've just lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid. We know we have Naby arriving because that deal was done the previous summer. And then that night that the Fabinho deal was announced and all of a sudden you're thinking, this is ideal. This is what we need. We're getting him. We've got Naby. Hopefully, we know Ox has had the bad knee injury, but we're still hopeful that he'll come back and be the player he'd shown pre-injury, what he was starting to, to mould into under Jürgen, this pressing monster who could just go box to box endlessly and get you a goal. So you're thinking, right, we're going to have Naby Keita, who's the second best midfielder in Germany the last couple of years after Thiago. We're going to have Fabinho, who's been a part of that brilliant Monaco team as our defensive midfielder. We know what we get with Ginny Wijnaldum. We've got Henderson, like you mentioned earlier, in his prime years. And we have Ox to come back. So now we have five midfielders, all of whom are between 24 and 29. Prime age. And yep. Prime age. And, you, you, and, and all of them have a big capacity to press. Ginny could press like an animal. Henderson could press like an animal. Naby had shown incredible pressing. Uh, with with Leipzig, Ox for us was breaking week on week, breaking the pressing records for the under pressure boys, and we knew that Fabinho, as that sitting holding midfielder, would provide that platform for whichever pair of eights Klopp went with to just go and and run over the opposition. And obviously, Naby has the injuries, Ox has the injuries, but Henderson, Fabinho, and Ginny just go and run over teams. For two years, just ran over everybody. And we were able to play Milner a lot less. So when he was needed, he could come in and he could run over people for 60 minutes. Not at a high speed, but because Milner has that ridiculous cardiovascular capacity where he can just sustain a pace for longer than everybody else. So Milner will set himself a pace and just chug along at that pace as long as he's needed we were able to get a lot more out of him. So that's how, like, you look at 18-19. We're first in the league in, in sprints, first in the league in high-speed runs, second in the league in distance covered. The next season, which is the title-winning season, we're first in sprints, second in high-speed runs. Now, we do drop off to seventh in distance, but because we had the league wrapped up so early, we were able to just take our foot off the pedal for the second 
kind of after the restart, we were basically just able to breeze through it because the title was basically wrapped up. Then things start to, to dip because in 2021, we get all the injuries at centre-back and next thing Fabinho's playing in defence, then Henderson's playing in defence. Ginny goes through a bad three-month spell because he's overworked in midfield by himself because Thiago's been out injured and the other two boys are at centre-back and we're playing Milner too much. We're playing Jones too much. And we're our numbers drop off. We're sixth in sprints, seventh in high-speed runs, and tenth in distance. But that's still not bad. And we still get top four. We finished third. Last season, the sprints rebound to third. The high speed runs to fourth, but the distance drops off again to 14th. Now, part of that is obviously we've introduced Thiago Alcantara, who's not going to cover as much ground as do this because he's a different type of player. But we've also lost Wijnaldum, who could eat up ground. And last season, we saw a significant decline from the captain. And in the second half of the season, we saw a significant decline from Fabinho. And then this season is where the real trouble shows. 11th in high-speed runs, by far the lowest we've had under Klopp. 16th in sprints. That's probably the most concerning aspect. And again, by far the lowest. Sixth was the previous low. And the distance has dropped even further to 14th. So we've gone from in the team that ran the most, ran the fastest, ran the hardest, to a team that doesn't run all that fast, doesn't run all that much, and doesn't run all that hard. And it is because our engine room has been ignored. Like you said, we've we've upgraded the Fords. We've put in place some succession at the back with, with Ibu and with Calvin Ramsey. We've brought in Costas to give Andy Robertson a bit more rest and a bit more competition. But we haven't done enough in that midfield. And where in 1819, we were thinking we've got five midfielders now in their prime. Now we have Nabi Kate is the only one at the club. And maybe you could say Ox, I think he's 29. They're the only ones in their prime. Henderson's well past his prime. Fabinho looks like his prime is behind him and he looks like he's slowing down. Thiago's in his 30s. And Milner's obviously in his late 30s. And then the rest are, are kids. You've got Jones who's picking up more injuries. Harvey Elliott, who just isn't a midfield player. And, and God bless him, he, he does give us all. But but this is it. This is Look at the profile of two... Look at the two players that you've just mentioned, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott, in 2023 in a Jurgen Klopp 4-3-3. Pretty much the same system that he's been playing for the last five, six seasons. And look at the three players, or look at the, the batch of players that we mentioned previously to them. Now, how are we expecting Curtis Jones, who's predominantly grown up as a free spirit type of player throughout his under-21 career, a creative spark, go and do what you need to do to affect a game of football, into one of the most disciplined, tactically have to be astute, the Gini Wijnaldum role. Let's just call it the Gini Wijnaldum role because he plays on that left side of the eight. And he's expected to cover ground. He's expected to cover runs, cover the fullback. And we're trying to groom him into that role. And then on the other side, we're doing the same for Harvey Elliott, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, you may know, I don't believe he's played in midfield ever. 
again, very much like Curtis Jones, a left winger, right winger, mm. possibly maybe in the 10 here and there. I don't remember, I don't recall, and I don't know. So he may have played in the 10 here and there throughout his sort of under 21 career or whatever, or even on loan. But he's predominantly attack first. Yeah. He's got the final third of an attacker. He's a fight. Both of them are final third, creative, looking mm. to be difference makers in the in the opposition half and around the penalty area. Suddenly, within a year or two, they're being asked to play as eights in a Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. Team. I mean, that's crazy. That's absolutely insane. And we're feeling and we're seeing the effects of that. I mean, I, I could have seen Curtis as that right-sided eight, because traditionally Henderson had a bit more freedom to get forward than Ginny did, and Ginny would sit in next to Fab, and they would, you know, present this defensive base in front of the centre-backs, let the full-backs fly forward, and Henderson would kind of play in that half-space as kind of the outlet ball. So if if Trent and Moe got stuck, they could look around, give it back to Henderson, and he could recycle back to midfield, and we'd get things moving again. And I could have seen Curtis in that role because he'd get it into the final third a bit more in and around the edge of the penalty area, but not in that Ginny role. Because like you said, it's such a disciplined role. And it's far more off ball than on ball. Like most of Ginny's best work came off the ball defensively, be it blocking passing lanes, be it tracking a runner, whatever it was, that's where Ginny excelled. We never never got counterattacked when Ginny was in the team because he would just pick up that midfield runner and he'd lead him off for a hot dog in the stands and he wasn't getting past Ginny. And then on the ball, we could give the ball to Ginny when we were under pressure and nobody was taking it off him because he'd just stick his arse out. He had unbelievable ball control. He could turn on a sixpence and be gone. He'd find a little bit of space. He'd jink one way, go the other. And he would just ease pressure and allow everybody else to push out. Curtis can do the on-ball stuff to an extent, but Curtis's issue is he doesn't always pick the right moment to release the ball. But that off-ball side is so difficult and so nuanced. And we used to always, you you remember as well, people saying, well, what does Ginny really do? Well, what he does is he, he helps us defensively. We won the league in Champions League by being the best defensive team in Europe. And him and Fabinho were as big a part of that as Virgil and either Joe or Joel and Ali, because that five were the five who defended, and everybody else, the other six, were free to go. Henderson would go box to box, obviously, we'd get back. The fullbacks did defensive work, but they were there to attack as well. I think Curtis could play the Henderson role as it was. He doesn't have Henderson's his capacity to to run at a high tempo for a for a long period of time. He doesn't have that in his game. But the on-ball stuff I think he could have done, but not in the defensive one. And Harvey has talent on the ball, but it is final third talent. When he drops into midfield, a lot of his touches and his is it, it's waste it's wasted time because he's looking to make everything happen. That role was never about looking to make things happen. It was about looking to make things work. And Henderson would keep things simple. And, you know, he obviously got a lot of criticism backwards, sideways, whatever. But it was about continuing the chain of possession, not letting the ball stop and not letting the game stop. Often when Harvey gets the ball, he puts his foot on it. 
and everything slows down. Now, Henderson's gotten into that habit in the last couple of years as well, since his legs started to go. Put your foot in the ball. And all that does is everybody else stops and the defence can now reset. And it makes things more difficult. When we were at our prime, we never let teams rest, ever. Until they were dead and buried and the game was over, we would not let them rest. And now teams seem to find it very easy to play against us. We've, we've, we've become, and I've said this before uh, on a few platforms, we've, we've gone from, with, in my opinion, probably the most difficult team to play against in Europe for about 18 months to two years, maybe, maybe more, three years. You can extend it to, for me, no doubt, we're the easiest team to play against, for sure in the top six, for sure. Yeah. We are an absolute, and it's it's so sad to see us right now because I used to enjoy watching us in terms of from a from a watching the other team's grovel point of view, if you know what I mean. Like, if you come to play us, we can play you. If you come to war us, we can war with you, mm-hmm. as you said, outrun you, and we'd batter you down because we may not have been technically as gifted in all areas of the pitch as some of our opposition. But my God, we would outwork you, outrun you. And then we weren't shabby technically. So there we would take over when you're dead. Almost like, you know, the, 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 the famous Ali Frazier fights where, you know, he says, where he says to him, you know, the wrong, you, this is the wrong time to get tired. We'd say that to teams. Yeah. You know, now is the wrong time to get tired against us because we had Mane and Salah who were, freaks of nature in terms of fitness and you mentioned Fabinho and Henderson Gini who 60 minutes onwards would destroy you once they've battered you down and then they just counter you as well on top of that so and now it's 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 a shambles Dave it's actually embarrassing I was I was at the Brentford game and as I said I'm not the guy that goes into a game thinking oh this is uh, we try to see the positives we think come on we need to go again I wouldn't spend my 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 hard-earned money to go and think we're going to lose but when the teams were announced and you see the just the sheer physical size of of Brentford compared yeah. to us look sometimes it's not as simple as that but sometimes it is yeah. and and they and they played the most basic formula you could you know Thomas Frank gets a lot of plaudits and you're rightly so look he's a very meticulous coach he knows what he needs to do in certain games it, it it wasn't genius what he'd done, David. No, it was just, it was simplified. It was the most simplified and, formula, and it was and it could be seen a mile off. Yet, yet our coaches didn't see a mile off, and that was really heartbreaking. But you know the thing is, he, he reminded me of us a few years back. You think of think of the the Champions League fi- semi final at home to Roma, the game Ox the Ox's knee blows up in, so. They're they're dominating us in midfield in the opening spell of that game, yeah. And we simplified the game completely. Trent Virgil hit the forward line, bypass the midfield, go long into that forward line, and the midfield every single second ball. You're the first one onto it. We, we're not going to beat them technically. We can't beat them physically, but we might be able to outrun these boys. And we were able to turn them round and run them. And we ran them off the pitch and we blew them away in about 45 minutes, 20 in the first half, 25 in the second half. 
And that's basically what they did. They just bypassed our midfield and then they ran off the back of our midfield and got those second balls. They realized this Liverpool midfield is slow to turn. Our midfielders are facing that way. If we go forward and the second ball bounces between, our midfielders are running on to it with momentum and theirs are having to turn and get going and they're not quick enough. It was Thomas Frank reminds me a lot of early Klopp. Now, he's not the same level of coach, I don't believe, but he gets the same level of buy-in. He's got the same ability to adapt the same group of players to different needs. So if he needs to go and outplay a team, he can do that. If he wants to just go and outrun a team, he can do that. But you mentioned that ability we used to have to go and outfight teams. And we, the team I always looked at as the, the marker for the Premier League, the, there's two teams. One is Ferguson's first great United team, the treble winning team. And they had Yapstam and Roy Keane. And if you wanted to fight, them lads would fight you. But the Arsenal team under Wenger that won, that went unbeaten, is renowned for playing stunning football, as we were under Klopp. But like us under Klopp, if you wanted to turn the game into a fight, well, Patrick Vieira and Gilberto Silva and Colo Toure and Loren and Saul Campbell would happily take this to being a fight. And they were bigger and badder and stronger and tougher and nastier than the opposition was. So if it became a fight, you were going to be outflanked and outgunned and they would kick lumps of you up and down the pitch. If you try and play football with them, they just carve you open. And that's what we were. We could outrun them. We could outfight them. We could also outplay them. When a game settled in, we could play lovely football down that right with Trent and with, with Salah and open up a team with Bobby's movement and Manny's in-cutting runs and Robbo overlapping and Henderson bombing through the middle and things would happen. We could play stunning football. We could break down a deep block. We could beat you on a counter-attack. We could do everything because our midfield was functional, was high intensity, was aggressive. And frankly, there was a couple of years there where they were just bastards. Like Henderson was getting in people's faces. Fabinho was full of gnarl and needle and all that nastiness that you like to see. And Ginny wasn't ever afraid to get stuck in. And then you'd have Robbo adding extra needle. Virgil was so intimidating. We could bully teams. And now we're the ones being bullied. We've become soft. We've become slow. We've become old and we've become small. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Harvey Elliott is too small to play in a Jurgen Klopp. If you, Jamie Carragher, I thought, nailed his analysis. You look at Harvey and Carvalho, they're super talented. They're not Jurgen Klopp footballers. Thiago's brilliant, and he can, he can mix it with the best of them. So I, I do think it's a little unfair to say he's not a Jurgen Klopp footballer, but he's a different type of Klopp footballer. Henderson's decline has meant that he isn't able to keep that intensity up. And without his legs, his tactical, his, his technical limitations become an issue. And obviously Fabinho as well has slowed. He was never that quick to begin with. But now when he goes to clip someone's heels, he's a half second too slow and he's not getting there. Mm-hmm. And Virgil seems to be playing within himself. Robles lost a bit of the needle he had for whatever reason. Sadio, who was, you know, Mr. Needle himself and would just pick I was going to say, you, you mentioned all the guys with the needle and I was going to, oh, I was going to wait for, I was waiting for you to say Sadio wasn't shy. No, <laughs> Sa- one of my favourite things that I've ever seen in the Liverpool game was Sadio deciding that the person he was going to pick a fight with was Rob Holding, who's about eight inches taller than him, huge, yeah. but not very good. So Sadio would pick a fight, throw an elbow in, get really tough and physical. And then when Holding got all excited for a fight, he'd just dribble around him and leave him on his backside. Yep. But we well, do with, miss with, that these, Sadio. These guys that you've mentioned, Dave, look at the, forget their footballing skills and talents and attributes. Look at their sheer physical attributes. Sadio Mane was, what, 5'9", maybe? Five, something like that. I'm not sure. But strong I'm, as an ox. But absolute strong as an ox. Gini Wijnaldum, we already know. We don't mm. need to speak about his Same thing. his Same ability thing. to his ability to protect the ball at all costs. Doesn't matter how big you are. Doesn't matter how the likes of Fernandinho would try to hack him away, or even Rodri. I'm not sure of Rodri, you know. But you know, the likes of you know massive six foot midfielders couldn't get near him. He would be holding you off. Uh, you know, even Henderson. As you said, legs for and and Fabinho. I mean, the, and Mohamed Salah. We already know. Look at the physical attributes of the players that we've mentioning and and are talking about now. And and it's 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 day and night. Mm. It's day and night. And it's the worrying, I guess. And I think it's fair to worry now. The worrying part is how Jurgen Klopp. Forget about everyone else. How Jurgen Klopp is not seeing this and feeling this. Because he mentioned it in his post-match last game, didn't he? He said, they asked him about what was the worrying part or what, what you didn't like. He said, the amount of challenges we didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how crazy is this? I mean, he's actually just said it. He's talking about his team not winning enough challenges Yeah. against the Wolves reserve side, Dave. And that's the thing. Like, we were always right up there in terms of ball winning challenges won challenges contested now you look at our midfield i think i think in his last is it the last 10 starts henderson's only won something like six or seven challenges fabinho's at about 10 tiago's at like 30 odd like he's miles ahead but we've we've basically bought the world's best controlling midfielder in tiago and we've had to turn him into a workhorse because the workhorses, being Fab and Henderson, they're just they can no, no longer do it. They can't do it. Now, maybe Fab can if he's not having to help Henderson as much. I don't know, but it's very concerning and it needs to be addressed in this window. And we've been linked to a couple of midfielders. We were briefly linked to Enzo. I, I love Enzo Fernandez. 
and he's the one I would love to replace Thiago in time. But he's not what we need right now. What we need now is we need legs, we need dynamism, we need aggression. We need a Moises Caicedo, a Manu Kone, one of those type of midfielders. Even a Eunice Musa would be a massive help at this point. That's where we've got to spend our money. And I know the infatuation is Jude Bellingham, and he's a wonderfully gifted player. He is a phenomenal footballing talent. And he will replace Henderson in the right side of that midfield. And that's great. But Jude doesn't really help us defensively. Jude is an active defender. He's not a good defender. Moises Caicedo is a phenomenal defensive midfielder. Tackles, interceptions, positional sense, aggression, ball winning, reading the game, tracking runners, spatial awareness, tactical discipline, everything you want. This 21-year-old kid from Ecuador that they bought for three and a half million that we could have bought but didn't, this kid has it. And he's 21. And I know the price is, is, is allegedly 70 million. And, and I get that that's an, a bonkers amount of money for a fella with less than a full season in the Premier League under his belt. But this kid walks into our team and day one, he improves us massively because him and Fab can now form that defensive shield that Fab and Ginny once formed. And it would allow Thiago to move to the right-hand sided role and play as more of the creative one in the way he did in the that run at the end of 2021, where it was Thiago on the right with Fab and Ginny. And we went on that run and got ourselves into the Champions League when all hope looked lost. Caicedo now can make that type of impact. And I, I don't understand the hesitancy to pay the money. The money has got to be there because we were willing to pay it for Chuameni. Have we spent that money on Gakpo? If so, that is appalling planning. But my assumption is we signed Gakpo completely separate to the money that we had sitting there for Chuameni and or other midfielder. So I don't know why we're so hesitant to buy Caicedo because it's clear we like him. And I know David Lynch said he's not a top three uh, target. I don't believe that to be the case. I think that might be the club trying to play down our interest. I, I, I He is absolutely perfect for me. Now, I don't know if you've seen anybody else that you really like, but for me, he's the one I'd go and I'd spend all the money on. We promise not to... We promise to be ourselves on this podcast. We promise that we're not going to hold back our opinions and views, whether we agreed or disagreed. And I'm so sorry to disappoint the listeners, but I'm going to agree with you. Because for me, of all the players that are possibly linked and named in European football or world football, you can stretch it to world football. I honestly can't pick anyone and choose anyone better than Moises Casado in terms of the profile and need for this Liverpool team right now. Now, I understand, I understand and I accept the qualities and the skills of Enzo. And I absolutely adore Jude Bellingham. He's 19, right, Dave? Is he 19? Yeah, or something? yeah he's right. a kid, like. So, that's right. So I get, all he's, I get all of that. I get all of that. I understand all of that. But in terms of what we've just discussed for the previous 20 minutes or so, 
and all the glaring deficiencies that we've discussed and all the players that we've discussed in terms of Gini Wijnaldum, Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, my God, Moises Casado, pretty much, pretty much has a combination and a bit of everything of one of those players. Mm. And look, sometimes we go overboard in terms of praise for our recruitment team and how we identify targets and players. But sometimes when we look back and we think there was a plan and what a wonderful, masterful plan it was, and then we sit back and we cry and we mourn how we weren't able to execute it. Because the plan is there to see, Dave. The plan was Shuamani for mm. our Fabinho. The plan was Jude Bellingham for our Henderson. And the plan was because we bid on the last week for Moises Casado to be our new Gini Wijnaldum. And that was our plan, to revert back to, not type, but to bring in three players of similar profiles of ones that have been in their roles and successful at the highest very level at the very highest level we're talking champions league winners we're talking premier league winners we're talking three champions league out of five we're talking is it two or three 90 plus seasons yeah 90 points plus seasons we're talking elite level of footballing ability and that is down to of course we speak about virgil van dyke and trent of course we speak about the famous front three but we also need to remember it was based on three midfielders of the highest, highest efficiency output. I truly believe Shuamani, Jude and Moises Casado would have been the remaking of Liverpool 2.0. I'm as frustrated, I'm as mad, I'm as angry. Everything that you've described and majority of the Liverpool fan base, how we have not achieved or managed to pull one of them off already now of course we understand the jude situation and we respect his his attitude and you applaud a young a young man like that to to give his team dortmund who gave him a chance and his family and everything a chance to give them one more season and that's commendable in a day in a way we understand shermany chose real madrid that's look that it is what it is right we he, he, he real madrid it, it, you know look, it is what it is. That's Real Madrid we're talking yeah. about. And he wanted Real Madrid. But the fact that we haven't been able to to, to look for a, a Shulmany replacement, i.e. plan B or C or D for that matter, and same for Moises Casado, is baffling, is worrying more than baffling for me because it suggests there's a disconnect. I I suggested there's a disconnect at the end of the last season and people were like, wow, how knee-jerk is this just because we've lost in the Champions League final and lost to the, look how close we were to immortality. And I said, look, fair enough if that's how you think. But our our success of recent times was built on a on no, no level of disconnect at any level, yeah. whether that's recruitment, whether that's background staff, whether it's sporting director, coaches, players. We never heard anything. We never saw anything. It was all from the same <coughs> hymn sheet. We haven't seen that, Dave. We no. haven't seen that. And it's showing, I'm afraid, it's showing on the pitch now. And so we have to call it out as well. Yeah, I mean, look, when Michael Edwards announced he was leaving, that to me was a real warning siren. Like, this isn't good. 
this is the guy who, after Jürgen, has been the most important person in our rebuild. This is the guy who's gone and built this team for Jürgen. He's the one that's gone out. Him, Ian Graham, and the rest of the recruitment team, they found the players. Klopp gave his okay. They went and got them. Job done. No fuss. Deals were getting announced. We didn't, like the Fabinho deal, didn't even hear he was a target. All of a sudden, it's announced because he's the one that they had identified. He's the one Klopp had said, that's who I want. Ed was just went and got it done. Now, that became a little bit more problematic when Julian Ward took over because he didn't seem to have the same, I don't know, maybe the, he's not the same level as of of negotiator as as um, as Edwards was, but he did get the Gakbo deal done really, really quickly and quite well under the radar. But now he's leaving. And when, when a guy who works towards a job for nine years and it's his dream job and he gets it. And then after six months, not even six months, he announced he was leaving in early December. When that happens, that immediately speaks that things are not all kumbaya behind the scenes. And with him going in the summer, you would expect that the next six months will be spent finding a replacement who will be appointed or at least, you know, told beforehand, you have the job, you start June 1st or whenever, but start working now on who we're going to bring in in the summer. Start identifying who you want. You can open a channel of communication with Jürgen so that come June 1st, we can immediately start bringing players in because it's not just that we need a midfielder. We need, in my view, this summer, between January and the summer, I believe we need four midfielders. Because I look at a situation where right now we need two, a starter and a quality bench option. We've got Naby leaving, we've got Ox leaving, we've got Milner leaving. I think we need two to replace them. One to replace Naby, one to replace Milner and Ox. And then you've got Henderson's decline as well. So how much can you really count on him moving forward? So I'd be looking at, if Thiago's going to remain a starter, I'm fine with that. But I think we need two starters. And I think we need two good squad options. You can go young, you can go fairly cheap with some of them. But like I'm looking at a midfield situation where we're obviously very, very, very keen on Jude. But we can't be guaranteed he'll pick us. We can't be guaranteed we can even afford what other clubs are going to throw at him because you know that City are going. Like City seem very confident that they'll get him, and Real seem confident that they'll get him, and they'll throw huge amounts of money. So my worry is that we wait too long and don't get him, or we do get him but overstretch ourselves to the point where we can't afford to bring in the two, at least minimum two others that we're going to need. And like I say, I'd like three others. With that player. And for me, I'd be looking at Quesado can be done now. They are open for business. Yes, the price is steep, but he's absolutely going to be worth it. You'll get a decade of brilliance out of him. To replace Hen- the Henderson we need to replace is not the Henderson we see now. It's the Henderson from a couple of years ago. That that's what they're looking at Jude for. But for me, I'd look at someone more like a Quadio Kone, Manu Kone from Gladbach. That high-energy, box-to-box midfielder, 
who can be that aggressive spark plug that you need, similar to what Ox used to be as well. So him and him and Caicedo either side of a six. And again, it could be someone like Emmanuel Ugart from Sporting, who's not going to cost the sun, moon and the stars. 35 million probably gets him. Similar will get Kone. You could get Yunus Musa. I believe he's got a buyout for 26 million. There's players like Kefren Turam for probably 25 to 30 million. There's a whole plethora of midfielders. Alan Varela from Boca Juniors, if you wanted a you know, 15 million pound addition to bring in as a backup to Fabinho and develop. There's a bunch of midfielders out there that we could go and target. Matthias Nunes obviously is one that's been linked as well. And John Percy does tend to be very reliable. But, you know, if the plan is Jude and Nunes and maybe Caicedo, then brilliant. If if it's just those three... Well, those three, those three um, you know, we've done a, a, like a, a, a transfer type show on my channel, like sort of a dream three that we could pick and a realistic three. And those three that you mentioned there, Dave, I, I want to ask your opinion and say, well, how impossible is it? I don't think it's impossible at all. I don't think it's fairy tale talk. I don't think it's wishful thinking. I genuinely believe we need to do this because look, everything that you've discussed and said, what it shows to me was we were, we were built on being ahead of the curve, mm. never being taken aback by situations, circumstances, whether that's a player wanting to leave or a director of football or whatever. It seems now we've been taken aback and we're startled and we've been caught sort of lagging. And that was never us. That no. was never us for the last five, six and five, six seasons. And as a result now, we are lagging behind. I'm going to go one step far, Dave. And this might be a, a crazy wild take. I know you mentioned Henderson and I know you mentioned Tiago and okay, Tiago. I truly believe, in my opinion, Tiago's the only one I'm banking on being a starter next season, Dave. I'm honestly of that opinion. I don't think we're going to see the best of Fabinho ever again. Now, I may be jumping the gun. Yes, I've heard the arguments about, look, he's had too much to do. But I think that's why he's just running on empty now. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get that back in your legs, as Ginny found out. Now, I was one of the ones that didn't, wasn't against Ginny leaving, but I was absolutely adamant that he needs replacing. Yeah. I thought we would let Ginny go at the right time. I thought keeping Henderson on a four-year contract was ridiculous. Milden are the same. Oxlade the same. And even Naby. There is no point. I don't know why we Naby. haven't sold Naby and Ox. Like this is. I, I, this, well, with, with the Naby situation, I firmly blame Jurgen Klopp. Yes, he is our king and we will never see probably a better manager in our lifetime. You know, Jurgen Klopp is everything to us, right? But I, I genuinely believe he has a lot of Arsene Wenger in him. Dave. Yes. And I said it in 2018, and people were like, how do you see the similarities? And now it's coming home to roost. He's not a Alex Ferguson. He's not a Jose Mourinho. His success is, a lot of his success, part of his success is built on his romance. We know he's the romantic. We know what he's like as a man manager. He mm. makes you believe him. 
and he makes you do things that you possibly you didn't know you had in, inside you. Um, but his his affection and love and trust in Nabi has stopped and Ox, for that matter. You know, Ox and Nabi were his signings. Let's not beat around the and bush. I you think the fact that they're such him. nice guys as well. I think he well, likes that. He has like you like you are you're a hundred percent right. He's Klopp's <laughs> biggest strength as a human being is that he is an incredibly loyal, loving person. But unfortunately, that's his biggest weakness as a manager because he overlooks poor performances from players that are loyal to him. So Henderson, as an example, has been awful this season, was awful last season and poor the year before. He still starts most games because he's a Klopp loyalist. Kevin Grouskowitz at Dortmund was exactly the same. He started him until the day he left, despite the fact he was clearly having a negative effect on the team. He kept lads at the club because they were positive attitude players, like Ox, like Naby. He doesn't have that heartless, ruthless streak. Alex Ferguson would just stop talking to players until they realised he wanted them gone. If they didn't realise, if they decided I'm not going to leave just because he wants me to leave, I've got a contract, I'm not going to leave. He'd just ignore them. Absolutely. Well, the worrying part was when he said, I've never pushed and I will never push a player out until he wants to leave. Yeah, that I mean, to me is a concern. What, 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 the, what the fuck does that even mean, Jürgen? Like, that's... I mean, I, 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 was, I was shocked by, by that statement. And it shows. I, I, we, we, the list is endless. Like, you know, we, we know we know he's never pushed out a player. And it is true. All those players, and we've mentioned now... Sacco's the only one, but that's because of the, the drug the test fail reason, and, yeah, the, and yeah, then the discipline. Yeah. Like, yep. that's it. Unless you cross a line and Jürgen has a moving line and when he decides it's being crossed, that's it. You're done. But Albi Moreno, God love him. A lovely fella. Seems like the nicest lad in the world. But it was very clear he wasn't going to get back in the team. He was kept a couple of years too long and left in a free. Adam Lalana, Years beyond being useful, but a really nice lad. Someone Klopp had a good relationship. But in someone who would, when called upon, Run himself into the ground for Klopp. But so it's Klopp fine to have, but it, but it's fine to have so-called teachers' pets. If, it's if fine to have if, one two, or three, two, but not. That's exactly it. He's got seven or eight. He's got so many, and this is the problem. It's fine to keep two or three for the culture, for the footballing culture, for the behind the scenes. Absolutely, every squad, every team needs that. You you don't become a super team without that culture. But to have a seven and eight. And then to, oh my God, yeah, you're, it's frustrating. And we find ourselves where we are now. And I agree with you. We need a minimum, a minimum three in the next two windows. Like one now and next, and, and, and minimum, minimum of twos to give us three. And I'd say, I'd go further than you, Dave. I'd say three starters. That's how drastic I see us right now and how poor I see us right now. I genuinely don't see us being able to revitalize the legs and the energy required in our current set of midfielders. Honestly, no. not in any of them. And that's bloody damning. Just, just to highlight this issue, right? We're coming up on, in May, it'll be four years since we won the European Cup. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> 
This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. This is our our squad from that day. Allison still at the club, that's fine. Still the best keeper in the world. Trent still at the club, that's fine. Joel Matip I'm okay with him still being here. He's still a good player, but he did he did have basically two seasons where he barely played because of injuries. The, the title-winning season, the season after. Most managers would have said, let's move him on, he's too injury-prone. But he's still here. Virgil's still here. Robbo's still here. Henderson is still here. Fabinho is still here. Ginny is gone, but Ginny is gone because his contract ran out. Jürgen would have kept him forever if he could have. But the club wouldn't go to the length of contract that Ginny wanted. Salah's still here. Bobby's still here. Sadio's gone purely because Sadio asked to leave. Otherwise, he'd still be at the club. Mignolet is gone because he asked to leave. Kelleher, still here. Lovren is gone because Lovren asked to leave. Gomez is still here. Moreno's gone because his contract expired. Milner's still here. Lalana left because his contract expired. Shaq, uh, sorry, yeah, Shaq left because he asked to leave. Ox is still here. Sturridge's contract ran out. Divock Origi's contract ran out. The only player from the match day squad in 2019 Champions League final that we sold without them asking to leave and without their contract expiring is Rian Brewster. That's it. We've held on to players far, far too long. And I know Spurs aren't a great example because they do things a Spursy way and they find ways to choke, but Trippier's gone, Alderweireld's gone, Vertonghen's gone, Rose is gone, Sissoko's gone, Winks is on loan, Ali is gone, Eriksson's gone. The only players still in their team that were there then are Lloris and Youngman's son. And off their bench, Sanchez is still there, Davies is still there, Dyer is still there, and Lucas Moura is still there. And everybody else is gone. Everybody else is gone. But we've held on to players past the point of being useful. And it's going to take a big, big investment in that midfield. So I want to finish on this last topic quickly. Is there, is there any possibility that the reason we're not spending what it takes to get the midfielder we need now is because we're also for sale and this ownership group do not want to fund a big transfer as they're walking out the door or do you just think it's that we don't see the value in the market? Uh, I think it's 
it's the uncertainty, isn't it, Dave? It's 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 showing from the very top down to the pitch. And again, it's like we're almost like a rudderless ship at the moment, and that's so unheard of when we talk about Liverpool. We've we've been so organized and calculated in everything we do. And right now, there is so much uncertainty around the ownership, the sporting director, the relationship of our first team coach with certain aspects of players and coach and, and tactics. Um, and unfortunately, this rubs off on the pitch. We're seeing the effects of it on the pitch. I my personal belief is is FSG are running us exactly how they've always run us, and this January is no different. And this is where the frustration lays lies. Um, I, I I think they're doing what they have always done, Dave. I think they're just they're just looking for for deals that suit them as opposed to what is required. Um. As we, as me and you have just discussed, Brian haven't, Brian haven't closed the door and said he's not for sale. No. Brian haven't closed the shutters and said come back summer. They've said just like most targets in world football, here's a price. Just like what Benfica said to to Chelsea, whatever. Here's a price, but obviously that's a release clause. Moises Casado doesn't have a release clause. Here's the price. Pay the price. You can have him. Otherwise, stop wasting our time. That's we it. Have, Brighton have said we don't want to sell. They haven't said we aren't selling. Yeah, we don't want to sell. Um, and so, therefore, it's down to us. Dave, we're in a mess. And mm. we, when you're in a mess, or, or I read something today where, where, where you know, if, if the situation gets desperate. Well, if it's not desperate now, just like it wasn't desperate. I don't know last, what desperate is. I don't know what desperate is. If you're actually watching this Liverpool midfield and you don't think it's desperate, then my God, football's not for you. No. Every Tom Dickenary child, adult can see it's a midfield issue. If you're not willing to overspend, let's just say... Because, look, from from my understanding, and we understand that when someone says my understanding, you know, take from it what you want. But from my understanding, we had a, a gentleman's agreement with Brighton, 50 million in the summer. And we said we will address it again. We will come back to it. Uh, and Moises Casado knew of our interest and, and, and everything was fine. I also understand that the changing of manager, you know, changed that. And obviously our desperation and, and a gentleman's agreements are, nothing in this modern day and age you know what it's like they've raised that price to 20 million we have to we have to do it yeah if it means we have to pay 15 20 million for for him more then look and if it means we have to sell a player like for example i'm just putting it out there i don't maybe i don't agree with it but if we have to sell someone like a a queen kelleher to raise that and 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 to and, and to sort of get that kind of extra 20 million, 15, 20 million, then so be it, Dave, because our need for a midfielder is far more than keeping a, a brilliant second choice goalkeeper around. Yeah. Yeah, you have to more. value up, you have to balance it up, Dave. We have to balance it up. Now, I know I'm saying it in simplistic terms, but sometimes it is simplistic as that. And we've seen, you know, that we're, we're b- way behind the, the eight ball now. And sometimes you have to pay over the odds I genuinely believe we have to do it. I have no confidence in, in in FSG doing that right now, and I think I think we're going to see a very frustrated Jurgen Klopp in the next couple of weeks. Um, 
making that vocal even possibly. I genuinely believe he thought and he was led to believe that the ownership situation would have been resolved by now. Mm. Um, and I think, I think it's going to, I think it's going to come to the fore, unfortunately, in the next few weeks where we see, um, we see lack of activity as a result. Uh, and I genuinely believe it's, it's, it's FSG operating as per. So yeah. I wouldn't be shocked because this is, this, this is them. This is not them being different to how they've been. So we can't even say, wow, this is just them. This is how they operate. And uh, unfortunately, until we get that resolved, this is how it's going to be. The thing is as well, like we had a very clear chain of command, three very clear figureheads at the club. You had Jurgen, you had Michael Edwards, and you had Mike Gordon. And Gordon is gone. Edwards is gone. Julian Ward has stepped into that Edwards job, but is he? Does he have the same remit? Does he have the same overview? Not even he close. Not. not even close. Absolutely, he doesn't. And, and it seems to me for. that the third most, the third most visible person at the club right now appears to be Pep and Linders. Now, I'm not saying it's his fault because I don't know. I'm not there. I can speculate. I can go on what I've read, but I can't say with certainty that he is to blame for a lot of what's gone on. But it is a bit weird that the assistant manager is as visible as he is. That's all I'm saying. But no Mike Gordon means no decision-maker on the ground. Because I know Bill Ho- Billy Hogan is the CEO, but Mike Gordon ran Liverpool day-to-day for the better part of a decade. And it was him and Michael Edwards that worked side-by-side on pretty much everything. And now they're both gone. And there's a big power vacuum created by them being gone. And Jürgen has obviously taken on some of it. But that goes back to your comparison to Wenger. Look at what happened to Wenger when David Dean left. And Michael, uh, Mike Gordon was our David Dean. You knew his name. You didn't really know what he did. But you knew he was fucking good at it. With him gone... Jurgen has had to do what Wenger had to do and pick up a lot of the overflow of different tasks, different people coming to you with issues, different noise. We did a brilliant job of building a bubble around Jurgen, where Jurgen's job was to manage the team and build an empire. And the only things he knew about in other departments were what he decided to involve himself in or what Mike Gordon and Michael Edwards thought he needed to know about. And now it seems like everything has been thrown at him. And he seems a little frazzled. He seems bemused by the whole thing this season. Oh, he like, does. He does. And, that, and, and, and it's obvious to see. It's very clear to see. It's, it's in his press conferences. Um, and I, and, and the, the comparison that you've used and the example of used of David Dean and Wenger, I've used as well. It's absolutely, the, the similarities are very, very uncanny. And the other thing is, like, you mentioned Jürgen's, Jürgen speaking publicly about the change of ownership. And Jürgen spoke about the change of ownership in November and December. And Virgil spoke about it. And when he got the World Cup, he was asked something about it. And both of them, by how they answered the questions, both of them seemed to be under the impression that this was going to be a process that was wrapped up 
fairly quickly that what they were being told was that this was going to be, you know, a fairly quick sale, that they had a, maybe had a buyer lined up and everything was going to run smoothly. Virgil said, I, hopefully it's sorted by the time I get back from the World Cup. Well, here we are weeks later and we don't seem to be any further along than we were when the story broke through David Ornstein months and months ago. So it is frustrating. You, you are right. Like FSG, this is, they are, they're just cheap. This is how they've always been. Look at our, look at our net spend since we won the European Cup. It's, it's a minimal thing. It's about, I think it's about 75 million since the summer of 2019. So you've got summer 2019, January 2020, summer 2020. It's roughly 20 million, Dave. 20 million per annum uh, net spend. Yeah, 20 million per annum and, and about 10 million a window. Yep. Which, which just isn't acceptable. You, you're, not, you're not winning anything with that. It's embarrassing. That's, that's mortifying. Like, they need, to get, they need to pull their finger out. And maybe, maybe Jürgen needs to go against his own principles and maybe he needs to publicly push them because his loyalty goes in all directions. It's to his players. It's also to his employers. You never heard Jürgen speak out against anybody at Mines. You never heard him speak out against anybody at Dortmund. And he's never, ever fired a real shot at these owners. Never. Because his loyalty is to the people that put loyalty and trust in him. And those owners have put loyalty and trust in him over and over again. They haven't backed him financially but they've put their entire faith in him to do things as like they didn't want to give Henderson the new contract either. But when he went to them after Henderson went to the press and said, look, we need to do this. They went, okay. When they wanted to get rid of Milner the year we won the title, his contract was up. Jürgen went to them and said, I need Milner to stay. And they said, okay, fair and enough. That's, that's what and you that's, but that's an indication. And that, that, that story is, is actually spot on. But that's an indication of the power this man possesses. Mm. He just needs to flex his muscles a little bit. If, and either way, if they don't want to sell, which I do believe they do want to sell, um, if they do want to sell, he needs to, to get a move on and crack on because, you know, I genuinely, genuinely believe he has the power to do so. Yeah, of course. See, the thing with Jurgen is, right, we, we mentioned earlier the differences between him and, and Ferguson and Mourinho, and obviously that lack of a ruthless streak is one big difference between them. The other big difference is Alex Ferguson knew he was great. Jose Mourinho told us all that he was great. Conte knows he's great. Pep knows he's great. Simeone knows he's great. I don't know that Jürgen fully realises how fucking good he is. I don't know that Jürgen doesn't think of himself almost as a bit of an imposter. I don't think Jürgen has the type of ego where he sits back and thinks, Jesus Christ, I'm good at what I do. Like, I'm, I'm the best manager in the world. Now, whatever way you look at it, he's top three or four, regardless. But he might look at himself and think, Maybe I'm top 10, top 15, something like that. Because I don't, I think he's that kind of, because he wasn't a great player, I think he's a very humble person. And I think he still views himself in that same kind of way where he has to 
work a little bit harder than everybody else. I don't think he knows how great he is. So I don't think he wants to turn around to the owners and say, listen, <laughs> I'm the best thing you're ever going to have. So back me or I'm going. I, I think all I, the others I, would have done it multiple times by now. No, absolutely. I think I think you I think you've nailed it there again. I think he does need to know this and realize this. And I actually think they know what they've got and he doesn't know what he's got. That's the massive, massive difference. But look, it is what it is. We find ourselves where we are now, and there's no ifs and buts about it. There's a massive rebuild. Mm. It didn't need to be a massive rebuild. Because if we had the, not neglected the last five windows, and if we had just added one more, Dave, just one more, yeah. not two, three more, just one more in each window, where would we have found ourselves now? With five yeah. squad or first teamers more, and that's exactly what we'd have needed. Even if, <coughs> excuse me, two or three of them were central midfielders, we would have been in a far better place. Yeah, like nobody's asking for city-type spending. All we're asking for is an extra... 25, 30 million per window? Just one. Just one. We've always been one short in every window. Just every one. window. Every window. Be it a centre-back, be it a midfielder, be it a foot. We've always left ourselves short under these owners. And it's it's led to this. And, and that's that's just what it is. There are three weeks left in this window. Today is the 11th of January. It's 20 days, basically, to the 31st. That's... That's how long they have to save this season. Because if we miss top four, you can forget about Jude Bellingham because the owners won't fund that type of money if we're not in the Champions League. You can forget about Caicedo because he won't join a non-Champions League club. I don't believe. Maybe he would. I don't believe he would. I think he'll have better offers. And you can forget about whatever else you were thinking of doing because Neil Jones has said it. There are two two lists. There's the Champions League list. And there's the non-Champions League list. And I guarantee that champ- that non-Champions League list isn't all that great looking. So three weeks to save our season, three weeks to sort things out. We know we have Jota and Diaz to come back and they will help, but they don't help in midfield unless Jurgen wants to get real funky and, and play Gakbo as an eight or something. I don't know. But they've got three weeks to save this and uh, the pressure needs to build on them. So we'll leave it at that. Um, let people know if they if they don't know, they should know, but let people know where they can hear more of you and what you've got going on. Yeah. Uh, if you want to hear more of my ramblings and goings on and, and all things football, I've, I've, I've created a channel for myself. Um, it's been going for about a year now. Um, uh, football Carnage over on YouTube. Um, so if there's any people that are sort of uh, fans of YouTube content, then pop over there um, and I would be absolutely humbled with uh, with any support. Uh, just give me a subscribe and yeah, we're building something there. We've got a good set of lads that do bits with me and it's uh, predominantly Liverpool, but bits of other clubs as well. Um, so yeah, football carnage. Um, a bit of a, a bit of a play on the name, as you can see. But yeah, thanks very much for, for letting me uh, plug that. Yeah, listen, get following. You follow him on Twitter at GrizCan, Football Carnage on Twitter. Subscribe, hit that little bell thing, and it gives you a notification anytime he uploads anything. You live stream a couple of times a week, I think. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting more and more consistent. So hopefully, yeah, as long as the health uh, keeps up, the content will keep up. Yeah, 
And like he says, a couple of good lads there doing it regularly with him, a couple of good followers on Twitter as well, so you'll find them there too. And uh, yeah, this has actually, this has been fun. And uh, we'll definitely be doing this again. We'll we'll have to work out a schedule and see what works for both of us. But yeah, we'll we'll do this again. We'll 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 make this happen. And hopefully everybody's enjoyed it. And hopefully uh, people, no nobody. Sam McGuire guessed who it was. Obviously AI have been pushing it that it was a mystery, a mystery. Uh, you know, second guest or whatever. And uh, Sam, yeah, Sam, Sam doesn't that. count. Sam, Sam's a Sam nerd. inside information. I yeah, think. Sam's a, Sam's a, a nerd, stroke <laughs> genius, stroke uh, something else that probably can't say on a podcast. So he doesn't count because he 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 messaged me as well. He he WhatsApp me and said, uh, "It's you, isn't it?" Yeah. And I and I gave him the eyes emoji only, the very infamous eyes emoji. So yeah, Sam doesn't count. Sam doesn't count. One person on our Discord chat managed to guess it correctly. Nobody else had any idea. We had some very funny suggestions. Um, most of I'm them were actually, not, were I'm not actually, people. I, Dave, I'm not joking. I'm actually intrigued, intrigued with the feedback we're going to get with this. I'm actually looking forward to the comments and the uproar or the outcry. But, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. And I hope it upsets all the right people. But I hope... All the good people who listen to it enjoy it. And like I said, yeah, give us some feedback on Twitter. Give us some feedback on Discord. Let us know what you think, and we'll we'll set this up again. Um, thank you to you. Thank you to Guy, who is producing away in the background. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index, and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.